another What's on your mind in English? Yes. This time we're going to talk about neuroscience and marketing and messaging. Uh, but I'm not a marketeer, Peter. Believe me, this guest, Piet Sagerman, is going to take away you in his journey and his story. So it's okay. It's really a fascinating story and conversation. Enjoy, Piet. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Now, Pete, um, <clears throat> welcome. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine, Pete. I've, um, we've met each other now, um, I don't know, um, a couple of months through the We Are Sales event. Mm-hmm. And I've watched uh, your, your, um, your show um, because I could make it live because I was moderating a session myself. And um, neuroscience in marketing and... I want to start with something which um, maybe is not 100% your core and maybe is because of your expertise, of your experience with um, showpads, for example, is, um, <clears throat> and that's where you start your presentation with, I'm building up, eh? mm-hmm. is founder-led sales. And the reason why I want to pause a little bit there before we deep dive into the, the, the world of neuroscience uh, is uh, <clears throat> I see a lot of founders who are in love with their baby, their product or service, and they are um, capable of selling it. They bring the experience. It's all in their DNA. And um, they are quite surprised that it's very difficult to transfer mm-hmm. that energy to a sales team or a marketing team. That's where you start. Why why did you choose specifically that angle? Because I find that very interesting. Well, there's there's a couple of components to that. So the first component uh, and a very crucial one is the founder is usually best at articulating value because they've been like through the whole development process and everything that is a feature or an undocumented feature of the product, they know how to how to position that and how to talk about it and give an explanation to it as to why that has evolved as it has. Um, so there's a, a depth of knowledge there that is very difficult to acquire for a, a, a new salesperson. Not impossible. You can do it. And if you do a concerted effort in, in sales enablement, you can do that. But the second component, I think, is even more important. And that is if you look at a company, um, it has three levels, right? It's got the operational level with individual contributors, salespeople, for example. Um, it's got the tactical level with management, slightly longer horizon. And they're they're more concerned with ability to execute team functioning, et cetera. And then you've got the strategic level, decision-making level. They are thinking about the longevity and survival of a company. And when they talk to a founder slash CEO, they're talking to a peer, right? So they understand the same kind of challenges. So that door is open. When they talk to a normal salesperson, there is resistance because that salesperson is from a different layer. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't articulate value in a way that resonates with the CEO strategic level of the target company. 
So one of the things you have to do is make them really aware. Like this is what keeps these people up at night. These are their core priorities. And make sure when you talk about the product that that covers that. And for a, a founder, that's a natural thing because he's just talking about his company, right? For a salesperson, that needs a little more support. Mm -mm. Now, if I look at you, and that's how you also present yourself, you've done it all. Pre-sales, sales, biz dev, marketing, product marketing. These are all very different um, expertises, areas. Sometimes even, I wouldn't say conflicting, because I think product marketing and marketing and sales, mm -hmm. yeah, it's I mean, business to business. is uh, is in my eyes, different. And at the same time, today, and sales needs to know about marketing, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, also pre-sales, that's more the technical feature function. Yep. So, I mean, sometimes a very good pre-sales who has commercial skills can be a very bad salesperson because he is so feature mm -hmm. function. Now, um, today you are bringing neuroscience um, into... You, you you call it marketing. For me, it's more messaging. So it's it's a crossover between marketing. It's it's also on a strategic level mm -hmm. uh, in the messaging. It even leans to vision and mission. Yes, there's a there's a clear link yeah. to that. Yeah, and uh, you you give in your um, and presentation lots of examples how not to do it, and that's. Um, because I I remember one of the slides, and I find it a very interesting one, is that you had Carl Jung, if I'm correct. Um, was it Jung or was it the other no, one? No, it was uh, Freud. Freud, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Freud, and then his nephew, if I'm correct. Yeah. And um, I remember that uh, in the Second World War, that there was also, um, was it his nephew or something, that they also abused neuroscience marketing tactics uh in the way they yeah yeah in in in, in a negative way yeah yeah it's very well documented so the the guy's name is edward bernays the nephew of uh of sigmund freud and he was one of the first and foremost like communication consultants back in the day um so by the time the 1930s early 1930s hit um, he was known as the person who could do that. So his, I think his seminal work was called the manufacturing of consent. So that tells you a lot about m manipulating public opinion and they had a whole propaganda machine. It, I, actually, he invented the word propaganda, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the National Socialist Party in Germany had a whole propaganda machine with, you know, people like Leni Riefenstahl making movies and taking all this, all this language and narrative to a very visual medium. So it was cl very clear that it was manipulated um, from the uniforms to the, the, the visual language they were using to the language they were using, the conceptual language they were using, um, it was just copy-pasted from the, the early works of Bernays, uh, which is scary, really. Yeah. Uh, are you aware that in the, in the 70s, um, there was an, uh, an, uh, they used the same principles um, or abused it to, um, to broaden the, the market for cigarettes? So what they did is that... Um, there were two target markets where cigarettes were not used as being women and there were children around 14 years. So what they did, they created packages, 
black packages with a, with a dead skull on it. And it was specifically targeted for people around 14 years, so they would start smoking. And then next one, the other one, was that they used the feministic campaign, mm -hmm. propaganda, where they took um, an, a woman, they put on a jeans pants and a white T-shirt that would typically be the outfit for a, a male. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, no, and then they put a cigarette in their mouth, like the uh, yeah. You, we are a little bit from the same generation, so um, you had the Marlboro Man mm -hmm. as the cowboy. Um, nowadays, you don't see that anymore. But um, yeah, and and they really use those same same neuroscience principles to really yeah connect mm -hmm. um, yeah that experience. With yeah, cigarettes, which is an, indeed. Um, an Do you remember? We're from the same, the same kind of. We're the same kind of age, right? Do you remember chocolate cigarettes? Yes. Bubblegum cigarettes. Yes. We were like what nine, eight, yeah. five. Yeah. We got. Those. Uh, we thought it was cool. We thought it was cool. We behaved like grownups, right? Yeah. That's where it starts. And these were companies. These companies were funded by the tobacco industry. Mm. You'd have. They would look like Lucky Strikes, for example. They would be Lucky Strikes, but they'd be. You know, lucky stripes, something like that. Mm. Um, so there's there's a lot of um, priming yep. of an audience, yep. and and once you have a product that doesn't really have a lot of features, I mean, this is dried tobacco leaves, and it's really bad for you. You're not going to sell that on features. You're going to sell that on identity. You're going to sell that on different factors. So that's what they developed mm. over the years. I I, I had a yesterday a discussion with one of my sales colleague. She's uh, I think 25. And uh, she lost a deal, and um, and they went for a big brand, and uh, and and she was like, "Well, we are better, and it's a better TCO, and it's a better ROI." And I said, "Look," and I took that from you. Do you really believe that people buy a Porsche because it brings you from point A to point B? No, it isn't. They, but because you buy a Porsche. It means you have like a small dick and you, you need an identity in the world so you can identify yourself as a, as a, yeah, as a kind of a trophy thing. I have, by the way, nothing against Porsche, mm -hmm. but I, I'm, I'm over uh, exaggerating a little bit here <coughs> to, to make a point. And yeah, it's the same, like nobody gets fired for buying IBM. It's the same thing. So, I mean, and I said to her, listen, and I also learned it around your age is that it is not because you have technically the best product mm -hmm. that you're going to win. I mean, if you look at the 80s, VHS, mm -hmm. Betamax, they were video cassettes. Eh? Nowadays you have Netflix. Netflix started with, uh, with video cassettes. Mm -hmm. But technically seen, I believe it was Betamax who was the better one technically, not VHS. Mm -hmm. But they were... You can even say the same for Windows versus uh, Macintosh, uh, where uh, where they used Mick Jagger start me up the song, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but, but, eh? but and and for me, that's a lot of people are not aware that. Ale, um, I think also that's something you mean is uh, you said is that every decision, every buying decision, is it in B two C? If we go to the auction mm -hmm. with my son, or if we do it in B two B, we're all small children. And it's the same thing. We are buying, as an individual and as peers, always on emotions. And then afterwards, we're going to rationalize our decisions. To yeah. 
Yeah, so the brain has multiple layers. So it's got uh, the, the, the basic layer is trying to keep you alive, your breathing, Just digestion. Survive, eh? Right. And then you've got like the, 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 the mammal brain. That's like a little more complex. It has some, some very primitive drives in there. Then you've got the monkey brain. The monkey brain, like that's like 85% of human behavior, right? If you want to see corporate politics, go to the zoo and go to the monkey enclosure. You'll see 85% of all the behavior you see on the work floor, you'll see there, right? And then you've got the, the rational frontal part of the brain that we think that makes the decisions, nope. but it doesn't, right? It's in deeper layers that are monkey brains that, that are more powerful, quicker than the, than the human brain. And then the human brain basically figures out a justification for that decision afterwards. But the, the part of the brain that makes the decision does not have the capability for language. Nope. Oh, right. So what you have to do is make sure that when you're telling a story using language, the only tool we have in, in marketing and sales, that you trigger the right responses in deeper layers of the brain. Trust is a really big one, yeah. for example. And that's why, that's the explanation why videos about cars, that they are watched more after they bought the car than before they have bought the car. They've huh. done studies about that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I watched a lot of car videos when I was waiting for mine to be delivered. It's just impatient, you know, yeah. I wanted to have the experience. But also to really rationalize it's it's eco-friendly, sustainable, whatever. Yeah. To, to give your rational brain, aka aka the storyteller, yeah. that um explanation and to how do you say that to 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 give you that feeling like yeah it's okay it's, uh, it's well i have uh, a list of things that i i absolutely had to have for very rational reasons yeah. you just want the stuff yeah. you know you just want there's the joy of ownership there's like you're profiling yourself you belong to a tribe of people uh the sure sm7b microphones that you're using are very high quality and and every serious podcast on the internet is using them, yeah. so it that also sends a signal. It's also so it goes identity, beyond. Yeah, yeah. If you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The big true. black microphones, right? Yeah. If you see the big black microphone, then you know, like, okay, he's looked at other other podcasts. Yeah, and, but you have to also be honest. You came here and say, mm, "This is." It looks really professional. So it gives you, oh, yeah. a professional impression yeah. about me. Yeah. And I didn't even open my mouth and start Absolutely. asking questions. Yeah. It's amazing how that works, huh? Yeah. Like yeah. you walk in and it triggers like all the assumptions, whether, you know, you've got a nice studio with lights and cameras and good audio and all that kind of stuff. And it just triggers all these assumptions. And the same thing happens when you walk into a sales meeting, even before you talk, like the way you greet people, how you sit down, the way you speak to the receptionist, um, where you parked your car, you know, it, there's all of these little things that trigger assumptions that we should be very aware of when we're in sales. And why are you so fascinated about that? Is it because you find that an issue, like, mm, I want to uh, be in concern there? Or is it because you're really fascinated about that mix between, yeah, messaging um, and the fact that 90% of the people are shouting, we are the best, the biggest, the most beautiful, and uh, you need us and you are ugly and I'm mixing a little bit here mm -hmm. B2C and B2B. But in fact, if you look at a lot of B2B companies today, they're all saying the same. Yeah. Yeah. You could replace the, the brand name with another yeah. brand and it'd be fine. Yeah. It's, 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 and, and then it's like, yeah, yeah. What, what should we, we choose? Um, so, but I want to know your fascina fascination yeah. of that. How do you come to that? 
So the, that wasn't planned. That was not <laughs> planned. Wasn't planned. So I, I, when I was growing up, I was a very awkward kid, right? Um, not really good with people, um, you know, scared of groups, that kind of stuff. So I didn't understand other humans and I was looking for the manual. And that's how you end up in like psychology books. Oh. But then when you got into sales, I still don't understand people, right? They, they can scare me um, um, senseless sometimes. But um, when you've got that, that, that kind of background of reading all these psychology and communication books, and then you get into sales, specifically how I got into sales. So I didn't just get into, well, I tried to get into sales, but that didn't work. Then I got into pre-sales and I sat at the table and watched these really experienced salespeople work. If you combine that with all the background of the psychology books that you're reading, all of a sudden you're seeing patterns. You're seeing things that work and that don't work. And that's when it got really interesting. It took me another 10, 15 years to work up the courage to go do this full time. Um, and I had a couple of jobs in between where I noticed that it was working because I was doing it. I was using the principles. That, you were using uh, the principles in your product marketing. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so this product marketing, if I understand correctly, um, because those definitions, I mean, is, is that um, you are in contact with prospects and customers. Mm -hmm. um, you're responsible setting the right or validation of the product positioning, the target group, the way it looks, the brochures, um, presentations, even pricing sometimes. Um, so the whole shebang mm -hmm. was in your responsibility. And there you could, that was your play field in order to put those neuroscience marketing knowledge. Not, not all of them. Not all of them. So so product marketing is is a very badly defined branch of marketing and it means different things in different companies yeah that's why i ask um, because so, is it really marketing there's another question now it's diplomacy right it's making sure that product marketing are speaking the same language it's making sure in our case there was a lot of alignment for the company like making sure that when a feature was done you mean all our the, case is the showpad show yeah, okay. yeah so making sure that the whole machinery that followed the feature being finished that that basically ran well. So documentation was being written, mm. the sales was being supported and trained and how to position this uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, we did a whole bunch of interviews with customers. We sat in on sales, on sales calls. And that was the first time where I was basically forced to not do it intuitively because before I read all the books, I did the sales and it kind of came natural to me. Mm -hmm. But when I was working at Showpad, I was, wasn't working alone. I was working with other people. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of explain to them, like, this is how we're going to do things and here's why. And that was the first time I was forced to productize that knowledge. That was the first time I was, I was forced to really make sure that it became scalable, repeatable yeah, to so other can people. Canvas and... Exactly, uh, exactly, right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. that was the first time where I said, okay, we need to have a clear deliverable. It has to be shared and accessible by everybody. And if, once we have a feature ready, for example, we had this thing called the Feature Passport, which was basically a Google Sheet. And it had links to everything. Like, you've got a feature? Okay, we need all this stuff about the feature. Intro video presentation slides, positioning statement, documentation. So a lot of branches in the company would contribute to that. And at the end of that, they would put the links in the documents. And then we said, okay, we're now ready to launch because everything is there. You can find everything about this feature. And one of the things we did that, that I thought was really interesting is that we asked the developers, the code guys who wrote specific features to give us a walkthrough through demo. 
And I told them like, listen, we're not going to use this video for anything. It's just for internal use. But when you're done, just walk us through us and, and, and basically tell us why you made certain decisions and how it works. And you could see the sense of ownership, right? Because before it was just like, okay, code's ready. I've committed it to the tree, whatever they, they call it in, in Git. And, um, the branch. Or... Right, exactly. And, um, and that was it. But now there was like, you could present what you'd done. Right. And if you have two people making a brick wall and you ask one person, okay, what are you doing? I'm bricklaying, right? And the other person says, I'm building a cathedral for the greater glory of our Lord. Who's going to be the better bricklayer, right? The person with the context. So we gave those people that were not exposed to typical marketing scenarios, we gave them a lot of context as to here's what we're doing with your, with your information, you know, and everybody would, would talk about those videos. So it was really cool. And that was the first time where I was really... I, I began to understand like there's a market for this. This is something that a lot of companies could use. Yeah, and, and, and then I'm going to jump to the end of your presentation because I assume that people didn't watch the video. So, um, and then you said um, it doesn't work always. And second is that um, it's mostly that marketeers, they are going back to the old way of working and they put that knowledge that they should do in some kind of cupboard and and it's and it's uh, lost i mean i can imagine if you then had a, a project with a certain company mm-hmm. i mean you're heartbroken if if they they go back uh, and is yeah. it because they don't believe in that or is it because they think it's manipulative or they're not passionate about it or no i don't think there's any kind of forethought uh, it just you know stuff happens erosion right you people change jobs people leave the company mm. um sometimes i get a call from somebody i don't know who's like listen i just joined the company i found this folder it's full of interesting stuff can we talk Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it picks up again. Um, but in most of the cases, there's n- no real issue. And even if they don't touch any of it ever again, what at least the, the least thing I've done is I've changed the narrative in the minds of the salespeople and the people that are customer facing because they were part of the whole process. And us getting to that deliverable has already changed the way they pitch. Wow. So um, that was, I was not aware of. So you are, because in my mind, you're talking to the CEO, to the CMO-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so on strategic level, because it starts there, the narrative. Mm-hmm. And there you're going to work together in workshops, I assume. But you're also touching on customer success and also on sales personally. Yep. So I, I always like to start by saying, listen, this is the most value you have in your company is hiding in the heads and minds of your customer-facing staff. So that's not always marketing. That's surely not marketing right? because they're not talking to customers. Exactly. So that's the people... They're, sh- they're, they're afraid of customers. The people that deal with rejection, the people that get told no time and time again, and sometimes they get told yes, I want to know what that yes is. Or the people that are in customer success that sell successful renewals, I want to know what they're saying to customers. And to me, customer-facing people are, there's a couple of sources that I think are really important. One is customer-facing people, because that's a reality check for the CEO story. Sometimes the CEO is like, okay, this is my mission vision translated into a sales pitch. And salespeople go like, that never sells, so I just do this, right? And they do whatever it takes to, to close. I mean, that's they're actually how it really works. Eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if I look, for instance, at IBM, I was like, this stuff doesn't work. Yeah. So what I did was on, on, on sales kickoffs, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of events, yeah. 
I'm going to search for the most successful people exactly. who were like the president's uh, high mm-hmm. achievers clubs. President's clubs, yeah. And at yeah. nights when they were like in a disco or in a bar, I would mingle with them and drink beers. I used mm-hmm. to drink then. Um, and connect with them. Mm-hmm. And then three days later, I was like, explain me your secret. What's the secret sauce? And they put. then they would take a napkin yep. and they would draw a certain whiteboard thing. Yep, that's gold. And I took that, yep. and then I just copied that, yep. and then they're like, how do you do that? And then it's it's that simple and it's that easy, and um, because they, they leave traces of gold. There is a reason why yeah, yeah. they are, because it's easy to have one deal, mm-hmm. that's, that's either tactical, but when you're capable in a sustainable way to doing that over and over and over again, then you have such something very exactly. specific there. I compare it to stand-up comedy, right? It's not because you can tell a joke to your friends and they giggle that you can fill a stadium and do a two-hour program, right? That is a different order of magnitude of what you think is going on. And quite often, it's a reality check for, for founders and CEOs. They go like, "What? my salespeople are doing what? They're not supposed to do that. And I turn around and go, no, you need to enable them with better storylines. You need to enable them with better content. Because if your stuff was good enough, they wouldn't color outside the lines because they're doing it with the best of intentions. They're doing it to grow your company. They're doing it to reach their commission. So that's gold to me, right? Um, and that's, I think, I believe today because we're in a very specific context today with the tech layoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, there's a lot of overhired because they have lots of VC money there. But in general, I believe that um, CEOs... Um, are going to fire good salespeople. But it's their job to create that great storyline, that correct uh, value proposition, that correct positioning, and to make sure that that the, the sales needs to copy that story, uh, which has already been validated. And what's happening in a lot of companies, also in startups, which I uh, um, worked at, is that they think that sales or product marketing, whatever, I'm going to the GTM and mm-hmm. go to market, that there's some kind of David Copperfield magicians that they take one of their baby products and mm-hmm. the product, their baby, and that they go do something magical because they enter a room and that the customer is, like, the prospect is going to turn into a yeah. customer. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, <laughs> and then they, they talk to me and Peter, Peter, yeah, Peter, um, we, we have a problem. Um, we don't have enough business. Okay. So what's your solution? I'm going to add more sales. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is that really the solution? And, and, and I'm like, it's not always about more. It's about, yeah. I mean, if, if certain people are not successful, it's your fault. Yeah, and if you, if you scale with defective messaging, you're scaling a problem. You're making your problem bigger. Fix the messaging first, then scale, right? And, and how do you know that the messaging is defective when you enter such a environment? Well, if if I don't get it, nah, that's, that's number one, right? If you're making me burn calories to understand what you're telling me, that's like number one. Number two, if you're telling me everything else, everything everybody else is, te- is telling me, there's no differentiated value there, right? So I'm, I'm hearing you do this, the, the whole spiel and it's just, this could be a different company and doing the same thing, right? Or asking me the worse, asking me the same questions. Like, so what are your core priorities today? What's keeping you up at night? Dude, again, 
You're like the fourth salesperson this week that asked me that question. Get the hell out of here. That's sales training from the late 90s, yes, right? Yes, indeed. So um, what, what you have to be able to do as a salesperson is kind of create value, make their time valuable. Yeah. They're spending with you and make them look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, but every, every sales trainer, tells, you need to create value. And then the question is of the salespeople, Peter, how do I do that? That, def that depends on the company. So one thing that works a, a lot of the times is... Um, I was speaking to a, to a company that um, does a crucial thing in the lifespan of a small operation, right? It turns from a small operation to a really big operation. That's like a heart transplant, right? They're going to do this once in their career, maybe twice, maybe three times. For us, this is Thursday. We do this every week. So every mistake you could potentially make, we've seen others make it, and we'll, we'll save you from them. There's an, an enormous amount of value in knowledge that is not being shared, right? And customer success has that value. They know what the, what the successful competitors in your space are doing with whatever you're offering. If you turn that into content, that is pure gold. This is what the top three companies in your market segment are doing with our product that's helping them survive. And we'll tell you all about it during our first sales conversation. That's value, right? So and when do you come in? Because uh, I I assume, and you also confirmed that you, uh, during our pre-recording uh, uh, conversation, is that you're getting your leads via referral. So people mm -hmm. refer because you're happy with working you. I mean, what is then the typical um, drive that they come to you is because they they because it takes balls. To, 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 and vulnerability to say, look, I think mm -hmm. as a CEO, my, my messaging or my narrative is off. Yeah. It's, yeah, is, it's, is that that's weird. Is that the drive that they come to you or is it, or is it a CEO? No. Now you're mentioning the brochure. That's more on a tactical level. Yeah. But I, I mean, these kind of initiatives where they're going to put money and make you, yeah, give you a shitload of money. I mm -hmm. think, I mean, it's, it, it needs to come, I believe, from from certain pain that they're like, hmm. So there's there's a number of different situations. I, I can't really say that there's always one archetypical situation. Um, one is a a company is not growing quickly enough. Typically, what you're saying is, oh, my salespeople are not creating enough urgency. We've got yeah. all this yeah, stuff yeah. coming in, but there's not, not not enough urgency. All right, that's a neuroscientific thing that we can we can tackle because the urgency has certain basic characteristics that go back to the older parts of the brain, right? So we can work with that. So that's a typical pain that you would say. But sometimes it's also like there's a big change. We've just gotten some money from an investor. We're launching a new product. We're attempting to get into a new market. Um, these are big transformations. And then they go, well, what we've been doing so far might have worked in this market, but we're not sure it's going to work. We're not going to take the risk. So let's do this before we start scaling. Let's make sure we've got the basics right, right? And the basics is like, is our brand strong enough visually? Is our tone of voice appropriate for the market? And does does what we're saying make sense to the market? And how do you measure that? I mean, the first two points, is it done by really by interviewing Certain prospects or no, they're... not really. I mean, those are different compartments. Yeah. So the 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 visual language is owned by designers, yeah, yeah. And, and the 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 tone of voice is owned by copywriters yeah. at best. Yeah. But the challenge in virtually all the companies is that messaging is not owned by anybody. There is no clear ownership. All you have to do is ask them, like, okay, who who is responsible for your messaging today? And who should own it? Um, you couldn't put it in one department. It has to be like a multi uh, um, um, 
multidisciplinary team. You need some customer facing people or people that have, that have recently faced customers. So somebody from sales, right? Maybe not sales management, different responsibilities. They're no longer customer facing, right? They're running a team. It's not the same thing. So get your top sales guys in there, get your top CS guys in there, get marketing in there and make sure that they have a consensus on what the, what the thing is and get that validated by the top brass and the founder. So it has to be a group thing and you have to revisit it quite often. Because uh, one of the failure points that you mentioned earlier is like it disappears in a drawer when nobody's appointed as being responsible for this and it doesn't get reevaluated every so often. It's not going to it, – it goes stale it's like milk. It goes stale, right? Um, or bread goes stale, milk goes sour. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. There was a company that um, I started working with mid-COVID and their core narrative was all about, oh, the, the HR people don't have a seat at the C table and marketing does. Why is that? Right. It's because marketing, they didn't used to have a seat at the, at the C table. They were marketing directors. Now you've got CMOs. And the change that happened was analytics. They had hard numbers to prove their, their impact. We're coming to a point now where HR is able to do that as well with hard scientific numbers on skill sets, et cetera, and training, et cetera. And they're, they're able to show impact. You've seen the first CHROs. It's a movement that's happening right now. That was their first narrative. Okay, fast forward a little bit. Um, COVID's over. Everybody's going to work. There is an extreme scarcity on the job market. So their narrative had changed into like, you're not going to find the people you need in the market because they, they're not there. Our generation didn't make enough babies, right? The, the pyramid is upside down. So if you're going to need certain specific uh, uh, strategic roles, you're going to have to train people you already have. So measure their skills and make sure that you can cross train them. That was a complete shift in narrative in under two years, right? So it's a, it's a very interesting thing to be working with. Mm, cool. Do you do you see a, a adoption uh, in terms of? Uh, I mean, Belgium is always behind, but I mean, UK or US uh, or certain industries like startup world or or specific. I mean, startup world is big. Eh? Today mm -hmm. you have an, an app for everything. Eh? Yeah. Or a software for everything. Do, do you see a kind of an adoption rate faster than, than, than or B2C or versus B2B? Nope. I wish I, I'd have that because I could run campaigns on it then. But um, <laughs> it's super varied. Like sometimes it's industrial signage. Sometimes it, I've done a project in women's underwear. Um, done projects in the UK for agencies. Done projects in the US for um, IT support platforms. Um, th there's really no... I've been in real estate multiple times, been in um, HR tech multiple times. So it's there's no industry that's like the front runner with this. Um, I think there's just a number of people that are becoming aware of the fact that messaging is so powerful. It can transform their entire organization and the outcomes that they're, that they're going to get without turning their organization into a building site for six months. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of people that are very pragmatic and they go like, okay, I need from A to B very quickly under a month. I want to see first results and um, I'm not going to like deploy a platform that's going to take me six months and 200 grand or something. Um, what was, was I going to ask you? Um, do, do you do you think that um, I'm going to going, go, going to go back to the presentation? Mm -hmm. Then you're going to you you, you talked about and during the presentation about four or five um, pillars. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I was hoping for some very shocking um, breakthroughs, mm-hmm. and there were not. There, were, there was not one of them that I was like, wow, this is now... This is brand new. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, rocket yeah. science. Yeah. It was like, hey, you just mentioned the word trust, and I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. I mean, it's it's... It, it sounds that simple, yeah, but it's if you don't apply the knowledge, it's still... Yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, um, it on the, on the surface, it's very simple. So the basic premise is there's there's five, the five pillars that you mentioned are five intents, and, and as a salesperson, you become very pragmatic. So you, you only do things with a specific outcome in mind. And those five intents are five different outcomes, and they respond to five different very clear informational needs from your from your your audience right uh why should i care your intent is to fascinate what is this how does it work your intent is to educate um why this one and not any any other solution your intent is to differentiate can i trust it is it safe your intent is to validate and uh what's the plan what happens now and why should it happen now and not tomorrow and your intent is to motivate so that's very simple but the the true power of the thing is and how you apply that like what are the the points what are the story points you're going to develop to fascinate um what are you going to say to create trust because if you say we have to create trust you're going to hear the same three things from everybody right you mean social proof and a customer case and blah blah, blah right but there's there's dozens of other ways that you can you can create trust implicitly or explicitly um and sometimes you go through this and a company will say, well, this one is not for me because it doesn't mesh with our communication DNA or it doesn't mesh with our mission and our vision. Um, or, you know, some people don't like to create urgency. It's just not the way they sell. Mm. All right, then that, that chapter goes off. But And then you've got your your unique, bespoke kind of way of communicating. And you're, it, you, people use it like a menu. Like these are pre-approved things that I can use and I can build my own story. It's very important that you don't say, well, this is the story. Just say this and you'll be okay. You're hiring salespeople that are very intelligent in today's market and you want them to use their brain and they are well-placed to know when they, they're very good at detecting an informational need and responding to that. Because, Pete, I mean, trust, I mean, it's now the third time that we've met and I can say from myself, from the first time that we have met, within a couple of seconds, your intuition, mm-hmm which is my receiver, can say, can feel immediately, and this is also not connected to my my, my language um, mm-hmm. part of my brain, is that, oh, he's a nice guy, I like him, there's a like trust uh, mm-hmm. uh, factor, or he's full of bullshit, what a cocky little <laughs> motherfucker. And uh, um, now it's going to be explicit in my podcast. Great. Oops. And, uh, we'll bleep it. And, 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 so, I mean, applying this without that intent of, like a salesperson, of really creating value. And it's an intention you can feel. You can really mm-hmm. feel if they're doing it for their commission yep. or are they really doing it by creating value and mm-hmm. want to make an impact. Yep. You can feel that. Because I was learned, conditioned, mm-hmm. that 80%, 70% of all communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And, and every know, everybody knows that and can feel that. If you enter a, a garage to buy a car or mm-hmm. a shop, you the person is walking to you and on that energy you can feel, yep. 
what the intent is of that person. Is this a predator or is this an yes. ally, yes. right? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so when you mentioned that, what, one of the things I did, it drove all of my sales managers absolutely crazy. Right? Why? Is I never cared about my target. There, we had like these target attainment meetings or quarterly business reviews and they, I, I don't give a shit. You know, I know the, the I don't give a shit either because my principle to all sales is detach from the outcome. Exactly, the outcome, your commission, a closed sale is a side effect yes. of a job well done. Yes, right. Yes, and, and people you cannot sense that. And you, yeah, you cannot control that. You can only control the here and now in the encounter of two persons, exactly. human beings, um, having a a deep dialogue. Yep. And if you're going to act like a salesperson, mm -hmm. that other person is also go, going to put on a mask. Instead, go for really connecting on a human level yep. by really being curious yep. on a deeper level. Is it really so? And it's that mix between respect. So it means you can ask challenging questions. Mm -hmm. Look here, Pete, my intention is that I want to create value in these 13 minutes that we have. And, um, This question can mm -hmm. feel a little pain for you. Mm -hmm. So I give you, I ask you consent if I can ask you this yeah. maybe provocative question. Yeah, please shoot. Yeah. And do you think this, this, this is, uh, Peter, is a good question. And, and that for me is really about great sales and not yeah. the playbook sales. I'm nothing against playbooks and scripts, but I have something. It's just um, something which you can be inspired to but not exactly. yeah. copy it exactly if it were that easy everybody would be doing it of course right so but but you would you agree that especially in SaaS startup world it's it's tilted a little bit to the this is the playbook follow this i have the feeling that that the, the playbook just scripted follow this mm -hmm. and then you will get to the sale that's the feeling that i get maybe i'm wrong Um, I, I haven't seen it at scale in, in my customer base. Um, I think because it's been tried before. Uh, a lot of the people that I work with are not first-time founders. They're like second, third-time founders. So they, they kind of know what works and what doesn't. Uh, but a scripted approach is basically saying, my people are too dumb to do this themselves. Of course. And that's like a slap in the face. Yeah. Right. Could you, the true intelligence is in the execution in your organization. Because it's really in that 1%. And it's not something that you can grab. I'm talking here about B2B. Eh? Oh, yeah, yeah. In uh, complex. Yeah, uh, one, of the, one of the things I say is like when I do messaging, I always make sure that I involve customer-facing people. And they're, I, because I need it. I need the information because I'm getting very one-sided information from the founder. Uh, I'm getting rationalized information as to why a customer bought from the customer. And the salesperson and the pre-sales person is in the room when the decision is made. So they're observing behavior. That's a more neutral way for me to, to work with. So I, I need the info, basically. But also, when you're doing that, you're taking their input and you roll it in the messaging. And even if it's only 2%, if they say like really one really clever thing and it's in the messaging, all of a sudden you get acceptance for the whole thing. Right. I was at a, at a, um, a customer workshop once and the, the marketing guy who was a, the soft-spoken Irish guy, I love him to death, and um, he, he mentioned something that just floored everybody. There was like this stunned silence of like, wow, that is a fantastic insight. And I paused and I said, shit, I wish I said that. 
I wish I'd said that. That would have made my invoice worth it to the to the CEO, right? But it was very important that he did it, right? Um, and that's that's so important to make sure that that these insights make it up into the organization. Make sure that they get into the messaging. They get discussed at a higher level. Um, try and try and get the the pyramid layer out and make sure everybody comes in mm. with the same with the same kind of authority. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's important to use an external person as well. Because I, it's it was really a revelation when I realized my impact on an organization is bigger when I'm not a part of it. Because once I'm part of the organization, you're, and the you're, or you're subjective. Exactly, and you, you're going to defer to your boss. You're yeah. going to defer to the CEO. Yeah. You're not going to ask the, the dumb questions all the time because if you Correct. do that long enough, people yeah. are going to think you're not you're not smart. But that's 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 the problem. If you're doing it long enough, then you are so you because you are because you're doing that over and over day in day out. You are so aware of that problem, whatever thing mm -hmm. that is happening, that um, when you're not in there, I mean, you're, you're actually like men are from Mars and women are from Venus <laughs> kind of situations where, 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 where the, the persons are still in an un, um, how do you call that? Unaware, incompetent phase mm -hmm. yeah. where you are talking an explanation about all, all, all complex things and they're like, and they don't see it and they don't understand it mm -hmm. and they don't feel that pain. Yep. Yep. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, it's very important to make an abstraction of that. So I come in and I'm very focused. Like people have asked me, like, could you do interim management for us for some market for six months or something until we hire a new person? And I did that at first because, you know, money, but um, I stopped doing it because I'm just not good at it. Once I'm in there, then I can no longer make abstraction of, you know, the power lines and the social hierarchy, and challenge. And the challenge. And so it, it becomes very different. So for me, it's very important to be focused and external. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried to do messaging for myself once and failed miserably. Like if you're too close to it, like I, it's really difficult for me sometimes to articulate value because it's so clear to me, right? If it, it's like asking a founder to, to explain a complex AI-based algorithm to a nine-year-old. Right, can't do it. He's too. There's too much knowledge there already, right? And that's why you need an external person to do this kind of work. And I think a lot of things are are better done by an external person. That's why I also believe that um, um, it's really interesting to hire people, salespeople, but also mm -hmm. marketeers, not from your sector. Yep. Because and also younger people. And they're, they're asking me questions. I'm like, damn. I wish I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like with, with a new set of beginner's eyes, mm -hmm. why, why is that Peter? Why this and why that? And I'm like, oh, okay. Because they're thinking more like prospects mm -hmm. than like, and that's, and that now comes my question attached to that. I mean, imagine you are working with a, with a company, you have done all the workshops, you have set the messaging right. You've talked to the salespeople. I mean, assuming that you have the messaging right, if the salesperson or the customer success person does not believe 100% mm -hmm. in every fiber of their body, mm -hmm. yep. it will not work, correct? Yep, exactly. So that's why when, when you create messaging... It all it always ends up as a consensus. If it's not a consensus, it won't work. People will resist that.
top-down messaging, here's what to say, that's your scripted playbook thing, right? And people will resist that. People will try and color out, out of the lines a little bit. But once it's something that is co-created and carried by the entire group and that is open to discussion, right? So you've got, okay, this is what we're saying to our customers. And a new person comes in and goes like, why is that? Why aren't we saying this? Which we said in a different industry, a different phase of growth, for example. And you go, huh, yeah, let's roll that in. Let's try it. Let's experiment with that. So it's easier when your company is smaller. And it's hard when you're like a very big corporate. Um, it, well, or yes. Or is it more than... A is, is it more than, and that's something I also see at, at, at certain companies, they have messaging which is um, cultural based. So the messaging yeah. is, is more based on a Belgian mm -hmm. thing than, for instance, uh, Brazil, because think differently, there are certain things which are different. Yeah. Uh, I actually, an anecdote, I was in uh, in San Francisco with a, a guy who I know at Showpad, he's left uh, now, and... Uh, he was complaining, like, it's really difficult to communicate with these people from Flanders, from Belgium. And I sat him down. We had a, we had a bunch of drinks together and uh, said, here's some things you need to know, right? So Belgians are conflict averse, so we don't honk in traffic. And we will articulate what we think about you, but not when you're in the, in the room. We're passive aggressive, right? Some things you need to know. It's just cultural, right? Um, and so, so the day after, I had to explain it to the whole office. Uh, I was like, okay, here's what you need to know about a Belgian, right? This is how, these are some things that you need to make sure that you break bread with a Belgian to establish that personal trust before you can do you can do business. But the cultural thing is very important. And what you said about bigger and small companies, um, there's there was an experiment where they they looked at culture in monkey population. Let's say they put I don't know five monkeys in a cage, mm -hmm. and they put some food up top of the cage and put some blocks in the cage, and the monkeys started building pyramids because you know they wanted to get to the food. Every time they did that, they were hosed down with cold water, right? So they take one monkey out, take a new monkey in. The new monkey goes, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's build a pyramid. And the other monkeys stop that new monkey. Like, don't do that, right? They can't say why. So they do that a couple of times until all the monkeys have been replaced and they're not building pyramids anymore. None of the monkeys have ever been hosed by water, but that's culture. And the bigger the company, the more monkeys you have, the more difficult it becomes to change that cultural behavior, unless there is an outside force like a messaging strategist, for example, comes in and says, okay, let's build a pyramid. What could possibly go wrong? That's Peter right. Drucker, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, wow, that's a blast from the past. I don't know, Pete's culture eats uh, strategy for yeah. breakfast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if it's a blast yeah. from the past. I know, I know it's from I know, the 90s, I believe, yeah, or even yeah, the 80s. Yeah. Hey, good, good books are like good music. It never gets old. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I'm knowing. I'm now going to go very off board. I was on a, a, a party a Friday on a wedding, and uh, it was from a colleague, a sales colleague, and she's like 24, 25, 26, whatever, getting married. And they were all playing songs from the 80s and the 90s. And I was like, these kind of songs, they were playing when I was a student. Mm -hmm. yeah? And um, so, yeah, and it's very strange uh, that um, in terms of uh, one of my bands is a party band. And, and so we play a lot of Footloose, Fame, um, mm -hmm. Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer, stuff like that. Pointer Sisters, mm -hmm. eh? And and I was like I'm always like, yeah, this is this is music for old people, uh, blah blah blah. And I'm always so surprised that all these young people, they're singing, 
en reacting um, on living on a prayer ja. of Bon Jovi and and and, and or, or Lenny Kravitz from the 90s and that modern music like Dua Lipa when you're recovering it it's like wah, wah. but they want to hear the footloose and I was like and I'm, I'm I'm like there is really a difference between 80s 90s music and 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 today I know I know there's I know a number of things going on yeah, there I know, I know, one, I know. one of the concepts is rosy retrospection and rosy retrospection is that everything used to be better than it is now it was brilliantly used by the Brexit campaign when they instead of take control mm. they said take back control mm. right this guy Dominic Cummings who was the the, the messaging specialist there brilliant dude um, so there is a certain sense of nostalgia for that kind of era because life was easier internet didn't exist life was boring man. I mean, really, and you, you wanted to learn something, it would take you years. And, and, and in the 80s, it was, it's, I, 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 people like, yeah, it's, it's great. And they know it was not, I mean, you had the East West, uh, I mean, there was, yeah. okay, the, okay. We had to play football or whatever and play with each other. And there were no mobile phones and you can say technology. But on the other hand, I mean, I mean, we can connect with each other. We, this kind of technology, yeah, yeah, it yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. You had to hire big studios. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's. Uh, so I don't think. Uh, but yeah, but good content, good music, is is for life. Like the books that Edward Bernays wrote were in the 20s and early 30s, mm. right? They are still as relevant today as they were then. Mm. Um, and this was before psychology became an exact science. They didn't have functional MRIs. They didn't have behaviorism that was invented in the, the 60s, mm. right? So it was all based on psychoanalysis, which is like an archaic form of of working with this stuff. But still. The principles hold hold fast. Do you know Tom de Bruyne? No, no. Should I? Um, I don't know. Uh, so he's in. Uh, he's been on my podcasts. He like three years ago, and he's a, a also a West Flemish guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I've met him when he was studying, and also I was studying. We were working as in a how do you call that? In a, in a holiday job mm -hmm. in a factory mm -hmm. eh, because we were studying. And he was studying psychology, behavioral psychology. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He then, I believe, even he he, he doctored, mm -hmm. uh, and um, he even um, <coughs> was a professor. And then he quit to start his own company uh, regarding behavioral psychology. Mm -hmm. So he's helping companies, um, but also political parties mm -hmm. um, with behavioral psychology. And he has uh, his met uh, his wife, and he lives now in Amsterdam. And uh, I will connect you with him. He's oh, a very cool. interesting person. And he mentioned on the podcast that he has one very specific rule. Um, so he is also training other people in behavioral psychology. And he said, he says, like, when there's somebody um, like from Philip Morris, mm -hmm. so the cigarettes, yeah. uh, and he said, they're not welcome. So oh, I wow. can train you in behavioral psychology, but when the, when the company is like, Cigarettes? No, we're not going to do that. Is yeah. that also something? Yeah, that, that, that yeah. you have you have for yourself a kind of rule when when yeah. when a company is like I don't know um, porn or alcohol or or things that uh, I mean is it something also for yeah, yourself? Yeah, there's, there's a very important ethical component to to what I do because this stuff is so powerful you can really manipulate people's opinions with it. And um, it, it can be used for negative purposes. So my, my basic rule is if you're going to hurt other people or you're going to hurt the planet, we shouldn't be talking, right? Um, I'm not going to enable that kind of stuff. 
on the other hand, who am I to say what's ethical and what isn't? Maybe, yeah. maybe Philip Morris invents the cure for lung cancer tomorrow. I don't know, right? So not going to happen. But I mean, yeah, you know it's, I mean it's, it's, it's a minefield. So I try to be mindful of, first off, what kind of companies are you working with? And most of the companies I'm working with, there's a clear intention of doing things for the good of the greater the greater whole, right? So things like energy efficiency, energy diagnostics, uh, um, a lot of the, the community building tools. Um, you know, there's a company that, that leases equipment to, to other companies that would normally never be able to afford it because it's too expensive. But what they're doing is they're using secondhand stuff and they get people started that would never be able to start a company by themselves, like that kind of stuff. You can, you can know from the first minute that like, this is great. You know, this is all for the greater good. With others, you have to look a little bit deeper mm -hmm. and um, you work with companies that are really unexpected, but then you, you see that they're doing things with the best intentions. Then it's like, okay, but it's, it's almost like a, there's no theoretical litmus tests. It's it basically talk and, okay, what are you trying to do and why are you trying to do it? And if, if there's like, I want to be on a boat in two years and I don't care how I do it. Yeah, maybe we're not going to work together. But if mm -hmm. you, if you say, well, the world needs this because ABC, yeah, okay, let's let's do it. But there's I'm mindful of that. Uh it's been it's been abused in the past. Um Brexit's a perfect example, right? Brexit was taking uh, uh demographic data that was illegally harvested from Facebook and using that to manipulate uh, a referendum result that was non-binding um uh, as, far, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. Um that was a catastrophe, right? So that kind of stuff, it can happen. You have to be careful with it. Um, it's not just the Nazis that did it. It's happened time and time. I think the pharaohs did not it. Not going in, in conspiracy theories, yeah. I, I think there's a lot that we don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, um, is that for you now important to, to make a positive impact on the world? Um, it's, I'm not going to say it's like my, my core goal. No, no, I, no. I don't no, want no, to make no. the world no, a better no, place no, necessarily. No. Uh, but it's a nice side effect. Right. It's a, it's a really nice side effect. It's, it's cool to see people that are in their 20s and 30s, early 20s and early 30s, uh, starting companies and making a success of themselves that in a really short time span. I think that's fantastic. That's something that wouldn't happen in the 80s, for example. Mm. They wouldn't uh, have the, the resources. people that you admire? Pretty much everybody I work with and, and, and not just the founders. Like I've worked with people on a very operational uh, level. Do, 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 you're not talking about Peter Jan uh, Boten. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so and and um, what's his name from Netlock uh, that you that uh, he was after me. I. Uh, oh. oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, two yeah. founders of Lorenz uh, Borgert. Yeah, Lorenz. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've never met. Uh, I've never talked to, to Lawrence. Uh, uh, spoke to Petrion. Uh, stayed in Louis' basement when I was uh, in in the U.S. So we we got we got to talk a lot. Um, but those are those are those are people that are easy to admire because they've got a really good track record. You know, they got in the pocket and all that kind of stuff that they did before. But sometimes you you admire people that are pretty much invisible in the organization, right? Because they're low level executive staff or individual contributors, but you go like, wow, the, this person is really fantastic. And sometimes they don't have the background or the degree, but just because of their mindset, they're just so impressive. And uh, there, there's something that, that I speak about a lot um, is that 
you hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the current generation, they don't want to work anymore, et cetera. The exact opposite has been my experience. Mine right? too. So I, I've never known a generation to be this hands-on, this pragmatic, to have a work ethic like this generation and to think ahead and, and think of the bigger picture than ever before. Right? I, I think, to be honest, that they are better shaped than when we were your when we were mid twenties. If I yeah, we had the same if, bosses. If, if, you if, remember your bosses? Yeah. And <laughs> and that's the thing, and now I'm going to be very frank, is that I I I had good leaders. At the same time as as if I can I, I, if I look at the at the, at the sales team, I mean I have a different vision of of the things that I've been taught. Things like mm -hmm. the thing you just mentioned about detached from the outcome. I don't give a fuck about targets. Mm -hmm. And they know that. What do I care is coachability, adaptability. Mm -hmm. And I'm really focused on bringing, seeing the potential and bringing the best out of them. And as a side effect, they're going to sell a lot. And I think the big advantage that they have, and it's also it also has to do with how I behave, mm -hmm. is that um, I, they don't work for me. No, no, they work with me. And it's a very different yeah. Yeah. wording, and they feel that in my intention. And second is that they, they are more verbal mm -hmm. in their wording, yeah. which I believe they... Yes, they are more challenging. Yes, they, sometimes they can be very direct, but I like it. And they it's also an, an expression of, of the co-creation part because mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, but why we don't do this? Why we don't? And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think I think so they also want to make impact. And very importantly, they're Yes, of course they need money, but they're driven by other aspects, yeah. which makes them actually better sales. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of our people of our generation, we were conditioned with security and mm -hmm. with the paycheck at the end of the month, and we were conditioned that we need to have two cars, two times on a holiday, two mm -hmm. houses, sometimes two partners, and um, <laughs> and they they are not wired like that. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's in sales and just working with them they 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 are more about the team that's my experience so yep. when people are yep. yeah the gen z they are quite quitters and they're just doing their job it's bullshit yes absolutely because and it has nothing to do with generational aspect the, the only thing that they won't accept from you is you saying because i say so yeah that authority yeah. that kind of constructed yeah. authority goes out the window and they're right exactly and if if there is no if you don't have strong enough arguments for your case you're going to be by yourself, man. Yeah, I, that's it. I was um, lucky, unlucky enough to join a company in the late 90s. It was based in, um, in Vancouver um, called Creo. And they had, a, they had a, an idea of unit presidency. So you made all decisions by yourself under 10 grand. Don't ask for a signature. Just do it and make sure you can provide us with an ROI and you'll be okay. Right? So the expense accounts are crazy. And we, we did everything for the, for the good of the customer. And what they did is they had a system of reviewing you where your boss didn't review you. Your coworkers reviewed you, a team of 10, 12 people. So if your boss hated your guts, well, it's going to be 7% of your review. He doesn't decide on how much you make. doesn't decide on whether you stay with the company. 
the team does. Mm. And that eliminates all, all politics and that creates that kind of atmosphere of, of consensus building and team spirit. But that's actually what we are doing. So it screws you up for the, life, the, man. This is 360 and um, I'm not going to give any details because I don't want to put people here on that. But I'm going to, um, if people from the team are coming to me with feedback from a team member mm -hmm. and it's consistent and it's not about they're not doing their job, but it's really about an attitude thing. Mm -hmm. That's for me very important because then for me is a signal you should do something about it because you are um, responsible for the vibe within mm -hmm. the team. If yep. you allow that kind of behavior and, um, and I, I, that's for me is a very important one because what do I get in return by um, uh, with this kind of approach is that, and this is something I'm proud of, is that I have such a good relationship with all of them mm -hmm. that they are so open that I know when they're going to quit. Yep. And I'm going to even help them mm -hmm. for the next job. I say, look, if you're going to apply for another job, I will do the call. I will do the, the referral. You call yeah. it the recommendation call yeah. Yeah. with your new manager. Yeah. I will do it. And mm -hmm. tell me what do I have to say? Just tell me that mm -hmm. you're thinking of changing. Mm -hmm. So I have the time to search somebody new. Exactly. Yeah. And and so I'm going to coach them mm -hmm. for the next role or for the the role within five years. And people like Peter Mayor going to um, throw away the people. No, I'm not. Because I'm aware that they will stay for limited of time and that they are open and and that we have a real open connection and that they're going to give everything they have and mm -hmm. going the extra mile for the time that they are here. And that's for me the most important yeah. thing. In a lot I, of the cases, they come back. You know, they go to a different team, they go to the next step, they don't like it where they are and they come back because they know that kind of culture was there and it was better in their last job. I see that a lot. And then they coach each other. Yep. So because, and then it's it's about, because at that, at that, um, at that, at that wedding, mm -hmm. I was talking to a partner of mm -hmm. one of the colleagues and he said to me like, yeah, um, so you're the boss, I'm not the boss. Yeah, but, yeah, but you're, no, no, I'm not the boss. That's because you're working in a command and control, yep. typical old school West Flemish environment mm -hmm. because there's a lot of distance. I'm, I'm not their boss. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even care. And um, I I don't believe in that uh, because you are older or mature. No, it's not. Yes, sometimes you need somebody. If you collect all the data, we need to make this decision. This is it. Mm -hmm. And... and <coughs> And he said to me, and I found out a compliment, and he said to me, I mean, she's getting, so his, as his partner, she's getting a lot of freedom to, to make decisions. I'm like, yes, because she has brains. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, co-creation is really about creating um, an, 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 an atmosphere. There is complete emotional safety, mm -hmm. vulnerability, and they can fuck up. They need to learn from the mistakes yep. and, and, and take ownership. And Everybody needs to learn yeah, from their mistakes. Yeah. And, right? and then they can share that with each other. So, and, and, and also a second thing is my, 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 my intention is to get as fast as possible out. And that's something I learned from your ex-colleague, David Dupree. Mm -hmm. So when, I think it was eight years ago, I was, uh, yeah, 
with show pets. And he was like, yeah, mm, salesman. And I'm like, mm. And then it was, I saw, I, I saw David of David. <laughs> Um, but we shared a musical past because when I was 18 and he was 18 and the Humus Rock Rally with Arid, I mean, mm -hmm. the amplifier thing. And then like 30 years later, I saw him in a different um, environment and he mentioned to me and he was so open about it. I mean, yeah, maybe uh, I just want to work here if I'm relevant. Mm -hmm. And if I'm no longer relevant, well, I don't care. And, and for me at that time, it's more than 10 years ago, uh, at that time, it was like, my ego was like, what? Uh, no longer be relevant. I mean, and your existence. And for me, that was such an interesting way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And he's completely right. Yep. But for a lot of people, like, why Why do you want to leave? No, no, it's not about that. It's just knowing when you're valuable or not. Yep. And that's that creates a very different kind of leadership style. Don't build the pyramid. You'll be hosed down with cold water. And this is stuff that we've gotten from generations before us it's like that transgenerational thing you know that kind of fear scarcity yeah. second world war yeah. maybe your parents didn't see it but your grandparents did and they gave that message to your to your to your parents like okay go work for the for the government for example that's a safe job because all the companies have to shut down in a war in a wartime and in the government you'll be okay right make sure you've got six months of canned goods in your in your cupboard that kind of stuff you don't know why people are doing it three four generations down the line but still that it's still conditioning there. and propaganda oh yeah, yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah 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 now how how young are you Pete I'm fifty three. But you, you, you studied in Kent? Uh, yes, yeah. If you would go to the overport of the overport and uh, we would go for a drink. And the pit, when he's 18, is entering the bar mm -hmm. and he, he sees us and he's like, hey, Pit, um, I mean, I know you have lived your life already. What kind of advice would you give him by knowing everything that don't you have a, right now? Don't be an idiot. I was an idiot when I was 18, seriously. So I was an awkward kid that turned into an awkward guy. And uh, I wish I'd learned some life lessons earlier on in life. Like uh, I was a slow learner. Oh, just, you know, know when to shut up. Don't say, don't say stuff for no reason, uh, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, if they say at the end of your life, it passes before you as a movie, right? I sincerely hope there's a skip forward button. <laughs> because there's there's some some parts where I go ooh cringe, you know. So yeah, I would say don't try and impress people as much as an 18 year old. Uh, work on yourself, work on your skills, build something, um, and and make sure that you have one thing that you can focus on. Don't focus on like 50 different things and be be a little bit good at all of them. Try and find your niche and make sure that if something excites you then go for that 100% and the income will follow. Like people have told me, like you're never going to make any money doing what you do, like walking around, going, talking about messaging and stuff like that. It will, once it, it just blows your hair back and it keeps you focused and motivated. Um, so I, I would, yeah, 18 year old Pete, I'm trying to remember 18 year old Pete. I was a very bad student, not a lot of social skills. So <laughs> slow learner. Let's leave it at that. Um, and, uh, and, and when is, when is your first book coming? Well, I've been asked about a book a couple of times and to date, I haven't found a way of making the economics work. Um, because writing a book would entail 
sitting down for a long time, you know, um, um, debilitating perfectionism uh, and, and writing the damn thing and like what, 175,000 words or 75,000 words, depending on how long the book is. But that's, that's time you can't invoice, right? So right it's now- It's not about the invoice. It's, it's what, 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 what is the music which is still inside of you. You're, yeah. you're obviously so passionate about it. Yep. So I'm like, I mean, it's still a niche. And I mean, you know, him, Michael Humble also yeah, yeah, very yeah. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has written two big books. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't publish it himself. Yeah. So <laughs> you're going to pay even for the book, uh, especially after you also invested the time mm -hmm. in it. So you don't have to do it for the money. You do it for, I don't know, I mean, you know, Peter Hinson and Stephen Van mm -hmm. also. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do keynotes, and it's a great keynote you're giving, I mean, then you will need a book. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the golden rule, right? You have to have a book or you can't do a keynote. Yeah. Okay, I won't speak at those events, right? Uh, um, but it's I like doing the work more than, than I like speaking. writing about the work. Uh, okay. Right. I like speaking. Get me on a stage, I'm happy, right? Um, so I love doing that kind of stuff. Because there's a there's a genuine interaction and, and there's like a lot of animation there, but like sitting down by myself and writing a book, writing a book that I like that I would read, um, yeah, like I mentioned, it's uh, um, paralyzing perfectionism, right? Yeah. I think I'll rewrite this sentence one more time. Mm. Oh, Jesus, it's been eight hours, Pete. I I I really believe that there are in um, in people who are living their life. And that there are certain chapters, mm -hmm. and um, you you uh, you're now in the chapter of uh, the neuroscience. Mm -hmm. There was also the chapter of um, discovering the jewels within pits mm -hmm. professionally, uh, the, the whole show pet apple thing, and tasting mm -hmm. where what what's what's inside of me. And I also believe that in ten years, I don't think you will be doing neuroscience anymore. Who knows? Do, do you, do you I don't have, have a plan? There's no plan. I don't have a plan. Like I've, situational awareness and we'll see what happens. You know, it's, everything is finite, right? Um, I might discover some whole new passion that I, that I go into. Yeah. But for now, there, I, there's a lot of work to be done in this sector. There's a lot of companies I can help. Yeah. And uh, it gets me really excited. And how long have you been independent? Uh, just under three years now. Okay. So full time. I've been doing it for seven years as a side gig. Yeah. So I worked four days out of five and then one day of messaging. Uh, and then uh, I switched January 1st, 2021, I think. Yeah. And if in, in hindsight, you would go jump faster? Yeah. That 18 year old Pete? But but no, on, no, no. I mean, if, you, if, if yeah, as an, an independent, eh? I mean, mm -hmm. you would, would you? I wouldn't skip the employeeship. Would you? Or would, no, would I wouldn't you, skip would it. Like, I mean, like three years ago. I mean, and the the the, the, the step from um, being as a side thing mm -hmm. to a main thing. Would you do that earlier? I I should in hindsight, have. Eh? Yeah, in, in hindsight is perfect vision, right? But um, I should have, but you don't know at the time. Right. And like you say, okay, I should have, now I've got this idea where I should have done this a long time ago. I've been much further. I would have helped a lot more companies, but I needed those years as an employee to go through all these different jobs and pre-sales and sales. And, and, and sometimes I call them the, the quarry, right? Because that's the hard work. Mm -hmm. um, that's not very pleasant sometimes, uh, but you need that 
to mm. basically get to the point where you are, okay, I now have the the knowledge to do this and I, I know all of the, the intricacies. But I know I know it wouldn't and it, it it's sometimes very difficult. But if imagine that you would have that knowledge like I mean, it would be boring bits. Yeah, the I mean, discovery I mean, it, is super a, there's interesting. A, there's a charm in discovery. Oh yeah, yeah. The, and every project I do, I learn something new because you live it. Eh? Yeah. If I if I am going to make an analogy here, if I want to see a therapist, mm -hmm. I want somebody who has been through the stuff. So that's I mean that I, it, it's the same with music. I mean, I like blues music. Mm -hmm when it's played by people who lift blues yeah. instead of very rich people who are playing very expensive yeah. guitars and yeah. mimicking. And of course, there's nothing wrong with playing expensive guitars and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a blues musician. Um, so, but there is a, there is a, I don't know. You can, I mean, there is the, the, the theory in the books and there is the passion, which is fueled by experience mm -hmm. because you don't preach in, Here is the 10 steps that you need to do in order to be successful with your messaging. That's not what you're selling, exactly. eh? Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're going to do experiments. We're going we're gonna to explore. We're going to discover new stuff. And, and almost in every iteration, I change something in the model. There's like a new question. There's a new checkpoint. There's a new data point. Um, uh, so th that, that voyage of discovery and the fact that you can really take a deep dive in all these companies is super valuable. Like when I did, I think it was my third energy company, um, um, really interesting guys uh, called NRC. They, they basically do AI energy monitoring. So they look at the energy consumption of a building. They look for anomalies that are invisible to the human eye and they go like, well, there's a relay that's broken there or there's a leak there, stuff that you don't see. Um, that was like my third or my fourth even uh, energy company. So by the time I got there, I'd had three energy companies before that. And I knew exactly, okay, this is the market. These are the core concerns. I can, we can move really quickly here. But how can you then differentiate? Well, they're completely different uh, companies, okay. right? So one company did, did pricing and, 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 uh, and sourcing applications for energy vendors. The other company was in real estate doing um, mm. uh, monitoring of, of consumption and, and access control, et cetera. So there, there are different aspects to it. They're in the same market. But you get like, every company you see is like a whole new world mm. of things for you to discover. Um, and sometimes there are no parallels. Mm. Sometimes it's really interesting. I mean, imagine it's a very simplified black-white situation. Um, the CEO of Proximus calls you. Mm -hmm. Pete, we need you. You come in MacGyver style. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what MacGyver is, look it up. And then you fix the messaging, the narrative. And then the CEO of Telenet calls you. I mean, that's happened. Yeah. And well, that's one of the things we talk about ethics, yeah. right? So one of the things I do is I sign an NDA with all my customers mm -hmm. that has two purposes. One, I want to protect my IP. So I give people a license to use the, the model as they see fit, but it remains my model. And also your messaging is your communication DNA. You want that to be in responsible hands. You don't want me to go to your competitors and go like, this is what they'll be leading with for the next six months or the next year or so. It's very clear. And whenever there is any kind of doubt, I check with my customers in that market. Like, listen, I've got this, this new potential customer here. Are you okay with this? Right. If there's too much overlap, then I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. So this means like go to real estate. Mm -hmm. um, Era, the Johan. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the wallet, mm 
Mm-hmm. I believe it's Sophie who is the CEO. Mm-hmm. That's a number one and number two in real estate. Mm-hmm. You're not going to work both for them. I can't. Yeah, and you, of course you, you, can, can't. you can't. You can't do that with a with a clear no, no, conscience. No, 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 no. no, no. Right? But it's because, the same situation I have. Yeah. We work for Acerta, but you don't work for Leontes or Group S. Yeah. It's the way it works. Yeah. The same with ERA, the Wally. You don't do it. Yep. And Unless they don't a, allow it, by the way. If you do it, right. for me, it's like selling your soul to the devil. How, how serious are you if you yeah, do that's a copy-paste? Yeah, that's it. So, and there, there's one, there was one issue where... Um, um, I need to actually call this customer to see if it's okay, but they build a product that helps companies build portals for their customers um, for very specific um, uh, e-commerce solutions. Mm. Now I've got a request from another company that, that builds customer portals for customers in a completely different market, in the maritime and shipping market, for example. I'm still gonna check, like, listen, they're building portals just like you, are you okay with me doing this? Are there any conditions that you want to put in? And we'll have to have a discussion about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I don't believe in is I did a, a project at a cybersecurity company. And one of the things that they, they, they that I learned there is you've got these cybersecurity specialists that find one vulnerability mm-hmm. and, and then just repeat checking it for all these companies. Yeah. And that's their income, yeah. right? Um, you can't do that with messaging. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very one-sided. You can't do it. Uh, I, I would get bored really quickly yeah. as well. Yeah. Now, um, as the second time in this conversation, I had a very great question <laughs> and then I forgot it. That's the thing if you're listening to understand and not to reply. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, um, the um, now I'm completely lost here, so I forgot it and it's okay. Godverdomme. Um, what was I <laughs> Yeah, that's the one. I'm going to ask you a question, and I know in the in these times, it's a, it's a, like a topic with everybody, and I don't want to. I'm a little bit. I wouldn't say provocative, but I I I hate those hate. I'm I'm not a trend surfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going. Uh, this conversation needs to be genuine, and I don't want to ask guests who are famous because I have more followers and the, mm-hmm. the, the intention is pure. Okay. Now you're warned. <laughs> Open AI, chat GPT, mm-hmm. AI generally, yep. gen- generally speaking. I mean, you are aware what the thing does, uh, what the impact is, like the impact we don't know, uh, but, um, and it existed already for, for a, a very long time. I mean, nowadays, I mean, you can ask chat GPT, uh, Blah 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 messaging blah 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 blah. I mean, what's what's your opinion? Mm-hmm. Because I asked your opinion, eh, about the impact of these um, artificial intelligence stuff on messaging and branding. As you are aware, mm-hmm. a lot of these things are used in marketing. Eh? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I I even see marketing, and it's great. Eh? I mean, yeah. you should do it. Eh? I also use it. I mean. But you always miss that human touch. There's no strong opinions. And strong messaging is built on strong opinions. It's built on emotion. It's built on injustices and fairness and shouting on the on the barricades. And Chad GTP will not give you that. Chad GTP will give you a number of words, well-written words. Uh, if you want to have fun, have something written by Chad GTP and then give it to Grammarly and let them figure it out. 
Um, so you see where ChatGTP is really. Wait, wait, Grammarly, what is that doing? Uh, so they, they, it's like an advanced spell checker. Ah, okay, okay. Right? Okay. It's like a, it, it checks tone of voice and also a lot of artificial mm. intelligence. So where ChatGTP just generates the stuff, the uh, Grammarly will help you sound a certain way and, and will keep you out of the passive voice. And there's a lot of remarks of the stuff that ChatGTP writes, but uh, so but it I, will get better, right? Eh? I yeah, mean, yeah, ChatGPT. Oh yeah, this is just an iteration. So I expect it will be of such a level that yeah. that it will be. Yeah, it's going to go very very quickly. So the I think the difference is not going to be generating the content because everybody can do that. It's going to be the prompting, right? I use it as a as a research tool, mm -hmm. and like three or four ChatGPT prompts save me sometimes an hour of surfing yeah, and yeah, looking yeah, stuff up yeah, and yeah. looking at Wikipedia. Um, but I'm careful with it. It's not something you could just use. Mm. And you could have, okay, these are story points. I agree with that. I don't agree with that. So one of the things I've been doing recently with customers is I'll give them a, uh, a content calendar. So some of my customers have a long-term relationship with, and they, they ask me to build like a content calendar for them. So I, I give them like headlines, like these are some blog posts about that, blog posts about that. And then I ask ChatGTP to write them. And then we review them together. We see what do we agree with? What do we disagree with? What's missing? And that's really interesting because you have a finished blog post that for all intents and purposes, you could just put on your website and be done with it. But the strong opinions happen in the knife fights that follow afterwards. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of ChatGTP as a, as a research tool. Uh, and I know it's going to get better as a content generation tool where it's going to really be able to, to furnish finished content. Maybe in my book. Maybe that'll be written by ChatGDP. I don't know. Um, but um, we're not quite there yet. But it's coming. It's coming. Having said that, um, the, the human touch and passion and strong opinions are still, to me, a great driver for good messaging. They will never be replaced. True. Yes, you can create automatic music. At the same time, there is a charm in the G-string of Jimi yep. Hendrix on yep. Woodstock, which is detuned yep. because he was hitting it, he was abusing it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's that that raw power of mm -hmm. that magician that I want to feel. Yep. Did you hear about the guy who patented or, or copyrighted all possible combinations of X number of notes in the world? So he basically oh, had ChatGTP run like put all the chords together and do a sequence of all like all possible combinations. So now he's ready to sue anybody who makes music, basically. Mm. Um, and he got that patent. Uh, he got the copyright. That's automatic. You don't have to do anything to get the copyright, whether it's enforceable or not. Uh, that's okay. for the courts to decide, right? Because yeah, you are aware of. I mean, then Ed Sheeran, he is mm -hmm. using. I wouldn't say always the same chord progressions, but it's the same for ECDC. It's the same mm -hmm. for state, status quo. And you can say, yeah, but they're copying it. No, the real difficult part is finding a catchy, great melody mm -hmm. on top of those chords and the way you, you're going to, to do it. So, yeah, it's... Uh, so if you hear like the, f I don't know, the first two bars of Back in Black played by ACDC, or you hear those same two bars, exactly the same two bars with the same instruments played by somebody else, you'll know the difference immediately. You will know. I'm going to go even further. So 
There was a, a group called um, Van Halen, mm-hmm. which were originally Dutch. And there was a brother, uh, the drummer and the, and the guitar player. And um, Edward, Eddie Van Halen. And they... Uh, the guitar player was actually more famous than the singer mm-hmm. of, the, of the band. And... Um, in around 82, Quincy Jones uh, was producing Thriller mm-hmm. uh, after he produced Off the Wall from, from Michael Jackson and um, and also We Are the World. And he, uh, at that time, um, there was still racism. So that means MTV, which was then music television. Mm-hmm. So there were no black people. Right. Um, maybe I'm using a wrong... Uh, uh, word here, my apologies, my fan. Um, and the, um, so Quincy Jones called Eddie Van Halen. And he said, uh, I want you to play for me, for nothing, eh? for mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, a guitar solo uh, for Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. So and, uh, uh, who is this, Quincy Jones? And then he went into the studio and uh, they played this kind of backing track. Um, and Eddie was jamming. And they took all pieces mm-hmm. And um, they put it on, and, um, and on, on on beat it. Mm-hmm. It was that, that guitar solo. That guitar solo, um, because it was played by Eddie Van Halen, was the first music video of a black person mm-hmm. on 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 MTV. And the um, <coughs> the fact that that yeah. The, the this really strange combination. He he, dev- he never got credit from mm-hmm. it. It's one of the best selling um, things, and it was how do you say that the um, there was actually nothing. I mean, for me, it's perfect, mm-hmm. but it's it's raw, it's passionate, and then a lot of players. He died two years ago, I believe, Eddie Van Halen, and a lot of guitar players. They wanted to emulate that. They call it the chocolate brown sound. That's what mm-hmm. they, in guitar uh, environments, they call it like that. Mm-hmm. And so when there was a course, concert of, uh, of of Eddie Van Halen, then famous guitar players could play on the guitar of Eddie Van Halen with his amplifier. Mm-hmm. The whole complete same thing is the same, by the way, from Brian May from Queen. Mm-hmm. And they still would sound like them and not like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. I st- even myself, I have that. So I had all kinds of amps, and now it's all software that I'm using. And then I listen to recorder, recordings of 10 or 15 years ago, and I'm even with different guitars, and I still like, damn, that's the same sound. Yep. So the thing is, and as the cliche, the tone is in your fingers. Yeah. And 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 the rest is just <coughs> an amplifier. For me, it's a great analogy, analogy of the... Um, I can know every knowledge and expertise that you have. Yeah. But I will never a- able to ex- explain it. I will mm-hmm. bring it in the Peter way and not in the Peter way. Yeah. So Steve Jobs once said, um, people can copy everything we do except our ability to innovate. Mm. Right. And I think that's, that's the same for music. It's the same for messaging. You, yes, you can copy paste messaging, but it will not be as strong as that strong opinion that you formed mm. as the first person who thought of it. Thanks, Pete, for the great conversation. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope uh, 
I mean, I can go from places, and and, and I don't know uh, if that was uh, within your expectations. Oh yeah, this was this is this is a good time. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> I wish you lots of success, <coughs> and I, yeah, I wish you that you can really have a big impact on whatever you're doing on companies, um, because I think you you are doing without knowing it something beautiful. Because I see a lot of organizations struggling. And they're all looking at each other, marketing to sales, sales mm -hmm. to CEOs. And, and and I'm like, but maybe you need a little bit more of pit to... to or somebody like me. There's others that do yeah, it, yeah. you know. It's your podcast, the pit. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, yes, yes, there are. But I, I think in Europe or in Belgium, you're the only one that I know. Um, yeah, so a lot of people do it as a, almost like a side gig. So it's like oh, an agency will do like a strategic exercise, which will then cost you 15K or 60K and you'll have nothing at the end of it. It's uh, like, no, it's a joke, uh, right? I mean, I've worked in an agency and yeah, these are very generic um, mm -hmm. marketing driven. <coughs> they all end in the same place. <coughs> we want to make the world a better place. That's like, that's the messaging that you'll get from people who are not yeah, digging deep enough. Yeah, and it's it's... They're working with their templates and their design mm -hmm. thinking, blah, blah, blah. And they're doing great jobs. But it's, yeah. It's not the same. It's not the same. I mean, you do it day, day, day. And you like you mentioned, you're great in this thing and you suck at marketing or at yep. sales. Yep. You see? So own your story. Hey, I never said I sucked at sales. No, no. <laughs> I'm a little bit exaggerating. <laughs> it's just to make a point that, that own your story and own your passion and the things you're good at and do that. Yep. That's the plan. All the best. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's On Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.